Welcome to the Everesting Podcast. This is part two of how to train for an Everesting with Tom Townsend. So if you haven't listened to part one, definitely go back to that. Check it out. It is the episode preceding this one. uh, And this is five additional tips. So we've got 10 tips in total. You want to listen to the whole thing from start to finish. So beginning with the first episode and then these five tips, which are going to help you prepare for an Everesting or frankly, any type of huge cycling challenge. This is a perfect template for how to build yourself up for that and how not to overdo it or overtrain. Uh, and it's very well thought out. So Tom, thank you again for doing this. I'm gonna have you back on the pod. Uh, as soon as I'm able, love chatting with you and uh, hope we get to ride bikes someday, my friend. So thank you everybody for tuning in. As always, the best way to support the podcast is simply by letting somebody else know about it. So if you know somebody who's intrigued by the challenge or is an endurance athlete and they, you think they might find some value in the show, uh, obviously word of mouth is terrific. Uh, if you can give us a share on social media or like or give us a positive rating or review on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show, on to part two of 10 tips for training for your Everesting. Where does that take us to? So tip six, we're flying through these. Um, tip six is make sure your training is suitable for you as an individual, right? So this is, we've talked about this in some sense in all the other tips because they all kind of relate together. But my training looks very different from my mum's training, which also looks very different from Pikachu's training. Um, so my training is a combination of all the different things that are specific to me, like how many years I've been going, what work hours I do, how much time I have available, what my goals are, um, what what period in the season I'm in, so how long have I been going without a break, um, my training history, all those different sorts of things. And so that's where doing the Zwift workouts that you've shown, like they're good as one-off workouts, but try and do the whole training plan. And it's just, it's not related to you at all. Like it, the training plan is the same, whether it's Pigatcha doing it, whether it's you doing it. And that's everyone instinctively knows that's wrong like Pikachu should clearly be doing more than the rest of us because he's way fitter and his goals are way bigger and he's got way more years in the sport and all the rest of it um so that's where like I would set completely different training for my mum that doesn't ride a bike versus me that rides a lot and then Pikachu that is the best in the world um so not not doing those training plans off Swift or trainer road basically is is the another big take home <laughs> okay okay um and then um i think that the, another key point to pause on on this point is that um lifestyle right like you've got to be able to fit this stuff into it i know that's a broader topic which we could have an entire podcast about but yeah. this is al- almost everybody in the everesting hall of fame or everybody who it's, it aspires to be in it they've got a life that they need to fit the stuff around. So that's, that's really key. And no single session is going to make or break you. That part I do know for sure. And if something needs to slide because you've got a sick kid or whatever, like work it out and, and stay on the bike. But like there's, there's some, there's a little bit of flexibility in there and you won't lose it all because of a day. Right. And I think that people can get, especially really type A people who, who are attracted to this type of thing. Yeah, you get really lost in the weeds on that, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's where like the bigger picture and just just staying consistent and not worrying about. So when I went from being a student, I full time, I did twenty five hours average a week over summer until 
going into a full time out of the house from quarter past six till half past seven at night. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. You just change around that, right? So I went from doing 25 hours to doing 13 hours and half of that being on the weekend, but staying on the bike most evenings was the important bit there rather than going, oh, well, I'll just use it as a, as a week off and I've lost 20 or 10% of my fitness because that's what would happen if I had a week off. Um, and that's where just doing that 45 minutes in the evening um, is is good and not trying to miss lots of consecutive days uh, so that it will all links back together to not taking extended periods off the bike. And I'm sure anyone that's done the extended periods off will go back and go, yeah, that's how I felt. Like I felt like my, I feel my heart rate was high and I just felt really unfit for the first few rides back. And that's because that's what happens. So that's the that's the consistency. But then not beating yourself up if you if you miss days because we have lives and cycling isn't everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are ways to be consistent, even if it's not quite to plan. And it's yes. you, you can you can lose a small battle and still win the war. I guess that's the takeaway that I want people yeah. to know, right? If, yeah. yeah. So if you're really busy, like I would say, try and ride Tuesday, Thursday in the week. So that's day on day off. And then once at the weekend, Saturday, like that's you've well, you spread your rides well. So you're, if you think about it from keeping your gains, you're reminding your body repeatedly at well spaced intervals to, to stay on it, basically to not throw the fitness away. Um, rather than doing two rides on the weekend at three or five hours and then taking five days off as your body will get to Wednesday and go, well, I don't need this fitness anymore. Um, right. So spread those rides well. Doing short, little, and often is much better than doing big on a weekend. So two ten-hour weeks could look the same, but one could ride six days a week, and one could ride twice. And the one that rides six is much better, even though the one that rides twice is much longer rides. So you might think they're better, but really, the little and often and continuing to ride to tell your body that it needs to keep the fitness is the important bit. Um, it's the right. same as if you were doing it. I'm assuming doing your job if it's technical you want to keep doing it little like regularly so you keep your eye in and same with skill-based sports and cycling is exactly the same do it little and often keep your eye in and that's much more beneficial for your for your fitness than big and far far between um i also find it's better for your comfort on the bike yeah i you know you can like certainly anecdotally i can i can spend a lot more time on the bike if i'm on it almost every day even if it's not for a really long time but then i can suddenly be on it for eight hours and it's not terrible yeah so i did for example is i did i had three months at the start of the year doing my final year of my degree and it was like i was doing like an hour and a half a day max maybe like often an hour a day on the bike barely riding relative to me and I hadn't done any big rides for ages and I come out and I can, I can still do the big rides. I just go straight into eight, 11, 14 hours. And that's because I'd done that less than often is I told my body, don't throw the fitness away. You've got to keep it. Cause I'm going to keep asking you to do it. Whereas if I'd had, I don't know if I'd ridden three times a week and one of them had been short, like, and even if one had been really big, I wouldn't have kept the fitness in the same way. And that's what I've learned from both personal experience and talking to other people is, it's all about little and often you keep all your fitness or most of it. Um, whereas as soon as you are few and far between, even if they're big, you, the fitness falls off the cliff. Um, okay. Okay. We're getting a very, uh, we're getting a consistent message about consistency. Yeah. It's for sure. Just remember I've had two days off this year and it was only five off last year. Yeah. So 
that's that's, that's nothing so you're doing it yeah it obviously it works nothing, yeah. okay okay what's next so this is was i that was that was tip six wasn't it yeah yeah cool so the next one tip seven was apply progressive overload with your training okay and this is so progressive overload is essentially you're stressing your body a bit more than it's already adapted to right so this is both this is applicable to both intensity and endurance so the everest things and the vo2 max session in winter um so if i this is the 11 8 11 14 is a good example of this that i prefer to in my endurance writers i did the eight and then i was like okay this is how i feel it wasn't that hard i can do more than this so i'll do it for 11 because i feel like i'm adapted to eight so i'm going to do 11 next and then i did the 11 i was like mm, yeah okay that was pretty good um i think i can do more again so i did the 14 i still felt pretty good so i did the everesting row whereas when i started these in 2022 I did the first one I did was nine hours at significantly less power and I was absolutely broken. Like I it was a complete slog through the last four hours. So if my threshold is 390-ish, I, I was at like 200 watts for the last three hours. It was it was desperate. Um my breathing had gone, like my endurance was just completely screwed. And so I didn't progress. What I did is I did a few more at that level and then I started to make it harder once I felt more comfortable. Um, and that's the progressive overload is do a little bit more than you feel like you're adapted to, but don't do way more. Don't jump from me feeling broken to trying a double Everest because that isn't going to go well. You want to just do a little bit more, give your body time to adapt at that level if you feel it's hard and then do a bit more. So that's basically exactly what I've done with my rides this year. They felt good. And then I did that Rome in summer and that was 19 hours. And I was like, okay, now I'm really whacked. Like I'm, I'm ruined now. So I did a few more at that level uh, with the two more Romes and a couple of other really big ones. And then I did the double Everest. When I got to the point where the Romes were pretty easy, I was like, okay, that I feel fine at the end. I, don't, I haven't lost my appetite massively. Don't feel sick. I'm not seeing things. I'm not like hallucinating. So I'm going to try double Everest. And that's the, the individual bit of the progressive overload. It's not just keep doing more. It's see how you feel and then judge how much more is suitable for me. If it was easy, do a bit more. If it was hard, you get used to that level by doing two or three more rides at that level. And then you do more. If it's really easy, you can do quite a bit more. Um, the same is true with like in interval sessions. So, for example, if I was doing threshold interval sessions, I might start a four by eight. And then if it felt pretty good, I might go to four by 10. And then if that feels really hard, I might do three by 12, which is kind of the same sort of, but it's just a mental, mentally changing the challenge. Like it's not four by 10 twice because that's kind of salt destroying. So I'll sort of change it, but I'll try and keep the intervals similar sort of difficulty. And then if that feels much better, then I might go to four by 12. And then four by 15. And then if that still feels good, you're at four by 20 after that. And then suddenly you've gone from four by eight to four by 20 in six, seven weeks of training. And you're like, wow, that's a massive improvement. And that's just by little and often. And then judge how you are after each interval session rather than just, just jumping ahead for the sake of it. And that's where like that's something like Zwift isn't doing that. It's a standard off the shelf plan that's judging. That's just an average. Whereas like, if I feel broken after four by eight, I really don't want Zwift telling me that I need to do four by 10 next week. I want Zwift going, okay, maybe just back off a bit, maybe do five by six or something like that. Something different, but similar sort of difficulty or even easier just to 
make it a bit more mentally palatable and not break you because there's nothing worse than doing this session that's too hard and breaking because that's a good way of, of going off the whole process definitely if somebody was coming to this with like say three months before yeah. they had their target event date and so they have 12 yeah. weeks would you recommend that they be building on each of those 12 weeks or would you have a few tapers built in there so that depends how you feel so the way i okay. did it was i would do my big ride and then when i felt good again i would do another big ride so when i could because when you're doing these massive endurance rides doing four or five hours isn't helping you like or it depends obviously who you are but when i was doing them, that level wasn't helping so if i take it back let's say everything is 14 hours doing two or three hours isn't really helping you three hours isn't helping you it's either it's either easy and you're recovering for the next big ride or it's a big ride really if you've got the time assuming you've got the time so i would do i would do big ride and then like until i felt good again so that's anywhere between like five days and ten days of easy rides generally just little and often the consistency bit and then i would do another big ride um and when you're training the endurance that endurance ride is really the only thing that matters and the consistency it's not trying to do like four four hour rides in the week because four hours doing four hours is not helping you pass seven really and that's what i've learned from personal experience like when i that first big ride I was talking to you about, I did, I'd done training weeks that were 30 hours, but I'd never gone over seven hours. And it's like, I get to hour nine, hour 10, and my body just shuts down. So that endurance ride is really what matters. So I would make that endurance ride the focus of the week or the two week blocks that you, until you feel recovered again, and then listen and often around that. Um, so sometimes I did one, one a week, but more often than not, I do one every two weeks and then just listen and often around that. Um, and listen often is individual again. So like my mum's listening often or my dad's listening often with a full-time job, which might be an hour and a half for my dad or half an hour for my mum. Might be different from me where it might be three hours. Um, right. But that endurance bit is just when you start to feel good again. And that's that's the listening to your body bit. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay. That takes us to number eight. Yes. So this was... There's no replacement for training your mind. Um, and this is particularly applicable given that I cracked on the double Everest thing uh, first time I tried it. And this is, so I, this is basically you need to, if you want to be able to do these ultra endurance rides, you have to put your mind in the position where you're really like, I'm not sure I can do this. I've got to, I've got to keep trying. And that's where the physical is, especially when when in road racing it might be physicals 98.5 percent in the ultras it might only be 75 percent and that 25 percent your mind is everything um and so i had three i had one ride last year and two rides this year where basically i cracked and then i got home and i was like well i probably could have done that if i just if i trained if i'd if i'd committed and not been a worse i probably could have done that and that is invaluable when it then comes to me doing the double Everest thing. I'm like, okay, I know I can do this. I'm not going to bottle it. If I have to stop, it's because I'm truly ruined. So then that has only, that's only because I've trained my mind through all the other ones. Whereas otherwise like I'm getting to like this, I don't know if you heard of David Goggins. Yeah. I so sure then, have. Yeah. That is basically what you need. It's that when you think you're done, you're only actually 40% there. And I think having done the double Everest thing, it's like, well, yeah, I, I get to like one in the morning and I'm beginning to feel a bit woozy and 
And I'm like, oh my word, I've got another 10 hours to go. And then I actually finished. And I'm like, well, I think I'm starting to hallucinate and things are moving a bit slowly. But other than that, I actually still feel pretty good. Like if you, if you paid me to do another Everest thing, it's like, would I get there? Would I not? It'd be touch and go, sleep deprivation wise. And that's the 40% rule really. It's like, I've done 10,000 meters and I'm like, well, this is really hard now. I'd rather be done. But really, if you commit and you push your mind through, it's amazing what you what the human body will do. Um, it's we are absolutely incredible machines. We yeah. are, but we often don't test to the to that limit. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I think you know that I host another podcast called Adventure Audio, and we had Alex Hutchinson on, who yes. has written and a incredible but he's i mean his career has been based on researching human endurance and testing yeah. limits and stuff and it's yeah. it's amazing at some of the research that's been done even just where a final kick in a race can come into somebody and if they yeah. move move the finish line you know people can be convinced that they had everything everything was laid on the line yeah, but then yeah, there's yeah. another there, there's another everything after exactly. that everything exactly. right? and, there, and there often is yeah and so it's, it's all about training your mind so the first time I bottled it, I was, it was a, it was the 10k that I did in the Peak District National Park, and I got like 210k in and six and a half thousand meters, and I'm doing the maths. And I'm like, oh, it's really just going to take a long time if I have this way home now because I'm, I'm sort of, I'm like 30k from home. If I cut now, then I will, I'll be home before dark and I won't be broken, and I'm not going to have to call my girlfriend to come and rescue me from the middle of nowhere at 2 a.m. If it all goes wrong, and I'm like, oh, that's just easier. I'll do that. It's like. I think you have to put yourself in that position to be able to say to yourself no when it comes to your big target. Otherwise, like mm. you've got no chance. You just and unless you're David Goggins, maybe, but he's done it a lot. So uh, that's a good example of how you've got to put yourself in that position. Otherwise, it's too easy to cut. And that's particularly applicable on Everest, right? Because the car is right there. Yeah, it's totally, very, totally. Very and it's, to it, no. it's it's not life or death. There's nothing yeah. chasing you. Like you don't need to do it. I always tell people for Everesting or anything that's 10 plus hours that you will definitely start talking yourself out of it. Yeah. It's exactly. only a matter of time. You're human. You will definitely, there's going to be part of your brain that's going to start talking to you about being comfortable yeah. instead of uncomfortable. Yeah. And the more you can, ex the more you can prepare for that and have a mental rebuttal for yourself. I know that sounds crazy, but you will have yeah. a conversation with yourself about this and you need to have some of your, um, you, ha you have to have that, your objections ready for when those, when those thoughts start to come in. Yeah. You and need, that's to, you need I, your why, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I think you have to have done it. It's like, everyone knows that everyone can listen to what you've just said. And everyone, I, I, I've listened to Goggins before I did these things. And for those of you that don't know, I know we keep talking about everyone. So he's, He's basically a crazy Navy SEAL that does all these insane endurance challenges and basically is, is, is termed the hardest guy on the planet, basically. Um, it's hard to argue. Ridiculous <laughs> things like that made this seem quite mundane. Um, so I think you have to, and so I knew, I watched him do that, like do these 40 hour ultra marathons. And I'm like, well, I know he's tough, I know he's pushed through barriers, but it still comes to that. Like, it's easy to cut and I still do it. I still do it before I do the real thing. And I think that personal experience, you have to have had that. There's no one, there's no serious ultra athlete that has never cut an event or a set a particularly self-led challenge like an Everest thing. I, I would be hard pushed to find the guys that are doing transcon have never cut these things. I bet you when they were 
younger and before they built up that mental resilience they cut them because everyone has like and that's everything for example like how many people cut below seven and a half thousand or below seven thousand meters or six and a half versus above eight no one cuts above eight because the finish is right there they can there. taste it yeah they can, exactly they can taste it whereas everyone cuts at that like two thirds like halfway to two thirds is like the real the real sore point that's um, what Andy Van Bergen calls the, the, the death zone, right? Where you're just like, this is never going to be over. And exactly. you just can, even though you understand the practicality of time and the, yeah. the time will elapse and it will be over, you're just like, this is never going to be over. <laughs> so you yeah. will tell yourself that. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas you get to 8,000, there's a piece of cake. Like I remember on the double, I was, so I started repping at about 275 watts. Um, 15 minutes I held that until about 12,000 meters at about 3 a.m and I started to break down a bit and I was repping at like 255 260 um and then it comes to the last few reps I'm back at 275 again and I was, it was great and that's it's all part of the the head game it's like I can taste the finish I'm almost there I'm excited now I can I can do it and it's like oh I could maybe I could have done that the whole time who knows but you, that, that finish line fever means you're never cutting that last 10 percent it's always that middle 30 percent that gets you totally um, but i will promise listeners who are preparing that once you do something like this if it's like double the hardest thing you've ever done it will completely rewire your brain to what you think you're capable of doing yeah 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 it's like when i so i i read a lot about like the the sleep things and the what you do after 24 hours awake and things like that and then I start seeing things in the hedge. I'm like, is that an owl or is that a hedgehog on the road? I'm like, no, it's not. And then you also start to feel a bit drunk. So like things move slowly when you've had like 30 hours, no sleep. And it feels really weird. And it's like, well, it now, is an impairment for sure. Yeah, it's it 100%. Like, I'm lucky that there's, there's so I didn't push it that far. I've heard of I've got friends that push it far, further. And it's like, now nothing will be hard until I'm there because I've done that now, which means the first 18 hours, I'm like, I can't cut there, come on. Like, this is this is fine. So everyone has that line of what they feel like is manageable and that's personal experience. It's like, I know that Mark Beaumont could do it, but that has no relation on me until I've practiced it and tried it. Um, and that's where like, you've got to practice these things and train that Definitely. Line. Definitely, okay. That was an awesome one. Okay, yeah. number nine. Nine. So this is another one. This is about as big a talking point as the intensity discipline, I think. And this is, uh, again, specifically for the event. It's a practice your event nutrition. Um, so don't don't try and do things on event day that you've not done before. Work out exactly how much you need on event day, what foods you're going to do, why they do they work for you? Have you tested them past eight, nine hours? Do you have any gut problems? And like, are they a big deal for you have they like had you in problems before um and working out those things and not getting to hour seven and realizing that you're low on fuel or trying a new thing or trying sports supplements that you don't need um doing all those things before event day and having a real nailed down strategy on event day is crucial um so like what do you eat for this is another thing is like people that you can't go on sports gels. So lots of races will use basically just sports gels because they're easy when they're racing, but you can't do that for an Everest thing. No one's doing sports gels for 18 hours. So what do you eat and how much do you need? And these are all things that is, is again, it's just incredible how much different and 
wrong information there is out there um, because it's fundamental to being able to get around. Uh, so yes, I could go into I could go into what I used for for mine because I, I think that would be useful and interesting. Definitely. But then I, give me give me a rule of thumb of how many hours. I know this depends on the individual, but like if you're burning 700 calories an hour, yeah. you can't you can't eat 700 calories an hour during this event, right? I think that's yeah. basically correct. You're probably closer to half that maximum. Yeah, it depends. Um, so if we break down, so for example, everything you use is a combination of fat and carbohydrate. Um, and how much fat you use is variable, right? So when I started, I was probably at like 0.3 grams of fat a minute, whereas now I'm probably closer to one. Uh, which is okay. nine calories a minute. So then anything above nine calories a minute that I'm burning is carbs. So for me on this, it was about not, I think I'm probably at about one gram of fat a minute, which means at 270 watts, I'm at two grams of carbs a minute, which is 120 grams of carbs an hour for 24 hours. Okay. So whereas like, because power and calories is a relationship, like direct relationship, 100% doesn't matter who you are. If you're doing 130 watts and you're, you you can use half a gram of fat, you might only be at a gram and a bit of carbs an hour. Um, okay. So knowing that with a power meter or personal experience, you don't even need a power meter. If you've done 10 hours and you track everything you, can, you eat, you can work out how much food you need. Um, so I knew going into this, I would be about 120 grams of carbs an hour. So then I had to practice strategies. That That's didn't a lot. That's a lot. So that's like what, almost three kilos of carbs, right? For twenty-four hours, you better you better be able to get that right from what you're eating, because especially because I've had GI problems on rise before, uh, where I will have to find a public toilet and try and get all the gas out of my stomach because it's just excruciatingly painful. And I'm sure lots of people have these problems. Um, I know my, my I know lots of people do because uh, you're you, all the blood is just going elsewhere. So you want to make it real easy on your stomach. Um, so yeah, I know that it was about, it's a, now it's about two grams of carbs in a, a minute. Um, last year I tracked everything I ate. So this is in my first year of ultra rise. Uh, and this was before I was as well fat adapted as I am now. I can feel I'm getting better. And I was at 137 grams of carbs an hour, um, burn, which is just ridiculous. And that's because I'm pushing relatively high power. And so I'm having to eat just a mind melting amount of food. Um, and I was actually lucky enough to go to a lab uh, and have all this tested with a with a ventilation mask. So they can then calculate how many grams of carbs and fat you're using per minute. So you can actually have this done and have it tested at different power. And I went with my dad actually because he wanted to, he was having GI problems on these rides. So he was trying to work out how much do I need to eat? What is it I'm trying to avoid? And it showed me that my this was back in 2019. So before I'd done all these big endurance rides and the maximum I could use was half a gram of fat. So that was about, that's about four and a half kilojoules of calories. So then at every power, so 130 watts, I was at 60 grams of carbs an hour. And 130 watts is like low zone one. And then at like 250 watts. So zone two, I was at 150 grams of carbs an hour. It's like, that is insane. At sweet spot, I was at, 260 grams of carbs an hour so that's 90 percent the threshold um and knowing that i think going looking back at that it's like i show this to people when they're like how much should i eat on big rides i'm like 
if you're doing more than 150, 160 watts, like you have to eat a ridiculous amount of food. Um, and people don't fully appreciate that. And that's where practicing it comes in is that you have to have gone past hour eight or nine and then you're having to replace everything you're burning, right? There's no, there's no previous stores that are working on hour eight or nine. You've already gone through all of them. So if you're burning 120 grams of carbs a minute, an hour, sorry, at 200 watts, you have to replace all of that. And that's where you've got to have something good that you can eat that doesn't mess with you. Um, and that's, that's trial and error and fully realizing just how much food you have to eat. It's very different from a three, four hour training ride where you kind of blag through and have a little bit because you've got the stores. Whereas past hour six, you've got to replace everything. And that was, that was tricky. Um, lots of trial and error. Okay. Do you, do you find yourself transitioning to more liquids and gels in the second no, half of events? No, I never, I never eat sports supplements. I never have gels or liquids. Um, I got around on three things. I had flapjack, so very high density, and it gets me that bit of fat as well. And from personal experience, I feel like my body can use that fat better than if I'm having to burn it, um, whether that's true or not. But it definitely feels like that because they're really dense and you can feel them when you eat them. So I'd have like two little bites of flapjack per rep. So that's 110 calories for 240 calorie climb um okay and then the two other things i would have sweets so i reckon i had a kilo and a half of sweets and oh. absolute game changer <laughs> sweets they will change your life if you turn them on the bike i have converted so many people to these and you just got a bag of wine gums in your back pocket you put them out eat them they taste great you want to eat them they're really nice to eat and they do exactly the same thing as sports gel so in a race maybe not where you've got to neck it really quickly but if you can chew and you like sweets, which I would assume most people probably do, sweets is the way to go. So kilo okay. and a half of sweets, kilo of flapjack, and then I had about half a kilo of fudge. Fudge is another one. You put it in your mouth. And half a kilo tastes, of fudge. Amazing. <laughs> it's like the sweets. Tastes brilliant, and it's just pure sugar. Yeah, super, so super sweet, right? Yeah. so much nicer than sports products. Like, so much nicer. And they're dense. They're cheap. So I'm not spending, like, 50 quid on sports food that tastes yeah. worse and i'd just buy a bag of 250 grams of jelly baby from tesco for pound 10. it's like and they taste way better i want to eat them like the part of the fun of riding my bike now um <laughs> so basically just eat some fruit pastels or jelly babies or wine gums or whatever flapjacks on really big rides and if you're feeling a bit like fancy then you get some fudge as well and it does that's amazing because you don't have to chew fudge it just sits there and just dissolves in your mouth it's just pure sugar um, okay just brush your teeth yeah <laughs> <laughs> brush your teeth and then the other one i had was monster energy you can red bull do the same thing so because coffee is a bit of a pain to drink i drink it lots but i don't really like it like it's not when i'm sort of nauseous at 17 hours in, i don't really want to have a coffee whereas like a bigger drink I will happily have that. And then the caffeine hit is just incredible. So I had, that was actually when I committed to the double Everest thing. It was that stop at 20, at half past midnight. It was like, what do I do? This is, this is the make or break moment. 11,000 meters, 7,000 to go, 1 a.m. And then I pop a monster and I'm like, okay, that, that's it. Like if I bail now, I can't go to sleep anyway. So <laughs> right, I might as well, I, might as well keep keep going. Going. I mean, like that's how it works, isn't it? So that 200 milligram, Hit caffeine so i had four of them in the car and used three across the 26 hours that's 
600 milligrams of caffeine that's definitely past the recommended daily limit <laughs> so, <laughs> so monsters flapjack fudge and sweets and that's it i don't do the bread because i've had i've had stomach problems and i don't know whether it's gluten related but i'd rather not risk it 17 hours in and it's also not as easy to eat as fudge like and flapjack mm-hmm. it tastes good yeah. and like i was still popping flat after 24 hours and feeling this is this tastes good like i would happily keep eating this whereas bread like you actually have to work at it like sports food you have to work at it it's not it's not the same as sweets or fudge um so basically practice that take them on your endurance rides even your three four hour rides and just try them and if they work try them on a longer ride and then work out how much you need and just keep shoveling it in well courtney dolwalter who i think is arguably the greatest ultra runner in the world right now yeah. uh is a huge advocate for candy on runs you don't <laughs> so need just regular else. candy not not sports yeah. nutrition candy you yeah. don't need anything else they do exactly the same thing and like it's just it's just yeah you it's don't a lot of marketing else. it's just sugar yeah. look, look at the nutrition it's the same thing like and this is where gels i get the gels was on racing so when you're they're convenient yeah because they're really convenient you just push and it's liquid and you know no chewing whereas like as soon as you're doing anything else like candy is just the way to go like it tastes nicer so you're not it's not like a pound of gel which is like 50 grams of carbs it's a pound for 250 grams of carbs it tastes way better it's part of the fun of riding your bike like so it's good to know that the ultra runners are on the same thing because and it does exactly the same thing it's great on your stomach because there's no fiber or gluten or anything complicated in sweets it's just sugar um our fudge is the same but fudge tastes even better and it melts in your mouth so it's a bit more pain to carry so it was in it was in the car at the top of the hill when i was double everything and i'd just whip it out every now and then but it does the same thing um because i don't know i'd have been like two and a half kilos of sweets and that's probably too much <laughs> i get sick of them after about a kilo it becomes a bit of a chore which is not a big problem for most people but if you're doing an everest thing you want a few different sources to mix it up yeah yeah and you know what using building this into some of your mental reward system i'm an advocate for that too so at like seven thousand meters i'm having fudge whatever you need to do to whatever kind of mental tricks you can you can build into the event you know you know yourself best know what you need to do to keep yourself motivated right yeah but that's the thing i basically never have sweets or i never have anything sweet apart from ice cream in the evening but you can't have ice cream on a bike but i never have anything else unless i'm on the bike like the bike is when i get to eat sweet food because the sweet food is being used and if i wasn't eating the sweet food i'd be eating something else that was doing exactly the same thing but it would taste as nice Um, yeah my thing i'm it's it might be it might be my generation but for me it's a real coca-cola I only will only drink it on long rides, but yeah. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm Red, excited about it before the ride starts. Red Bull and Monster are better though because they've got like five times the amount of caffeine in them. So then you just take one and you just like jittery all the way up the climb. It's it's great. Um, yeah, which at three a.m. Like in the morning, three a.m. in the morning when you because I I did definitely hallucinate and seeing things in hedges that are not there, and I get close and I'm like, no, yeah, it's not there, and that's where the when you're going all the way through the night, which is not really probably not a problem unless you're doing a roam or a double. Um, that's where like having a big caffeine store is very useful. Coke does the same yeah, thing. we associate hallucination hallucinations with being something like 
you know, I saw a tiger on the road. Like that's not how it starts. <laughs> it starts. Uh, it starts small with shadows turning into things, and it, exactly it what I had. Yeah. So in the hedges, yeah. I'm like, there, I think there's a bird, and I'm like, I get closer, I'm like, no, there's not a bird. No, okay, there's not a bird. I'm definitely beginning to see things, um, and that's when I called my girlfriend. I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't drive home. Can you come and get me, please? <laughs> probably shouldn't even be riding down the hill. But no, probably yeah, should be riding yeah. on the hill. But I didn't see anyone on the hill because I was on a like a nothing of a road, like a, a small road, unclassified, and I didn't see anyone between one a.m. and six a.m., which is probably a good thing because probably um, definitely things moving at different speeds. Um, but it's, it's a surreal experience to have, to have the hallucinations and the slow movings. Um, makes you realize that you are actually human. You can't ride your bike forever. <laughs> not actually forever, yeah. It's not actually get close, but not yeah. quite. It can feel like forever. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to our final tip, which I think is, which is an awesome one. So I'll let you take it. Yeah, so this t- tip 10 is listen to your body, basically. And I'm sure everyone's heard this. Um, which is like, don't push through if you feel horrific and all of that. And I really am referring to pre-event and pre-hard training session. That's really the, the important listening to your body or like early on in an Everest, if you start feeling grim, like lots of people think the, the, the rule five, the, um, if you know what that is, lots of people think that is like during a hard session. And it is to a point if you feel good or an everything it is to a point if you feel good on the way in and during at the start before it starts to get really hard. But before it shouldn't feel hard. Like you should always feel good the day before you do a big endurance ride or a hard interval session. Like I would never do a hard interval session unless I felt really good. Like the day of. Um, I would never do a hard interval session or an endurance ride like an Everest thing if I felt the day before um you're just making it harder than it already needs to be and knowing when to push yourself and when to spend all that energy and really dig yourself into a hole is definitely a bit of an art form so yeah i never do this this comes down back to the rest before you do interval sessions and endurance rises like hit them fresh and then really bin yourself but don't hit them tired and then bin yourself because you're not going to do as well and you're just digging yourself a bigger hole than it needs to be um so hit those rides fresh don't do hard interval sessions if you're tired and you you feel like you should because you plan them in or like rest and do those hard interval sessions endurance rides when you feel good and then really push yourself and then really hammer yourself when you feel good that's the key to training and the key to doing good at these endurance rides like if you start feeling a bit naff and then you know it's already going to be really hard, but then you feel nap on top of that, and then you get to 6,000 meters and then everything, you're like, oh my word, this feels even worse than I thought it would be. You're just more likely to quit, and you're doing yourself more harm than good. So I only ever do these things, both interval sessions and endurance rides, when I feel good, because you're not helping anyone by doing them if you're feeling a bit off, whether that's ill or whether that's tiredness. Tiredness is the biggest one, um, just not enough sleep. Um, so yeah listen to your body don't push through before don't push before if you feel naff but push during if you if you feel good before um so yeah no so body. listen listen to your body when training maybe don't listen to it during the event though because yeah, it'll so, tell you to stop again and yeah again. so listen to your body before you start the ride don't Am listen to your body right. don't listen to your body during the ride so basically during the ride rule five stands well follow rule five right but before the ride 
don't listen to it and judge like am i 100 percent? do i actually feel good would if it was my kid would i tell my kid to do the hard interval session if they felt like i did today i think that's probably the way that i would phrase it is like is it good for your health like will you be able to give it 100 percent, etc etc and if the answer is no then don't do it whereas as soon as you get in the session it's 100 percent. give everything and that's where like pushing yourself to the limit applies like really give it everything and that's what you'll see when they're doing like the pros are doing those the the, the racing like they're pushing themselves 100 it's not a back off because it hurts it's a don't push yourself in training if, or even with the event if you feel dodgy beforehand um, and you're under the weather or you're ill or you're tired like pick your battles and really push yourself when you choose your battles um, and the same applies with the everest thing if, if that was what your target was Tom, this is awesome. Thank yes, you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I feel oh, no, this is going to serve as a great resource for people for uh, for years to come. So people can uh, re-listen to this as much as they need to and, and build up to some training. And you, you do some coaching, right? So if anybody wants yeah. to reach out no, to you as a resource. Yeah, and even not just coaching, just obviously I coach, but um, just drop me a DM on Instagram or an email at uh, my downing cycling email so tom townsend at downingcycling.com just drop me an email and i will happily answer any of your questions because i know that it's a it's a minefield i'm sure lots of what i've said makes some sense but there's you will have, then have questions off what i've said like how does this apply to me yeah definitely out of these ten, ten things. To, yeah, yeah back to or i have or i have this many hours is that enough those types of questions you know i can do this much per week can i build yes. this to an everest thing and that type of thing like reach out to tom you see terrific resource and uh is very passionate about people reaching goals clearly so yes i enjoy it really appreciate you doing this no no absolutely my pleasure thank you for having me back i'll have you back again for sure appreciate it tom thank you very much take care be well bye chat soon thanks again to tom townsend for carving out the time to uh, record our 10 tips for training for Everesting. Uh, super, super fun to do. Hope we get to catch up soon. And thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate the support. So again, if you're able to give us a positive rating review, wherever you're finding the show, that is terrific. And we'll be back as soon as we can with another episode.